Well, many of you know that I spent the first 37 years of my life in California. I grew up in Southern California, but I lived in Northern California for a number of years. And so as a result, we often traveled between Southern California and Northern California. And when you do that, you have several options. There are several options. And most people take that blue line in the middle of the map. Uh, it's Interstate 5. Now, we Californians call it the five. The five. See, uh, we have a fellow Californian here. It's the five. And you who are not from the West think we're weird because we put the word the in front of the number of most highways. And so uh, we don't think that's weird. We just think it's normal. We don't know why we do it, but we think it's normal. So if I'm giving you directions and I tell you to take the 376, you can smile and you can shake your head. I probably won't even know that I've done it because for me it's normal. But uh, most people take the five. And the five is the most common route from north to south or south to north. And here's what it looks like when you leave L.A. and are heading north. Yes, there's lots of traffic. Lots of traffic. As a matter of fact, this picture doesn't even look like heavy traffic to me because there's too much space between cars and they appear to be moving and uh, so you'll have heavy traffic leaving L.A., but it won't be like that for the whole trip. A, a little further up, uh, it will look like this. Still busy, lots of trailers and semis and cars, and it's not very pretty. And when you get into the agricultural uh, area of central California, it will get less busy, uh, although I'm not sure I've ever seen it quite as empty as this picture shows it. But uh, there's usually more big rigs. And so if you want to get there fast and you want to do what most people do, you take the five. It's the road that most people travel. It's a good road. It's a direct road. But if you want to really enjoy your trip, there's another road you might consider. You might want to consider Highway 1. It's that red line on the coast. It's a two-lane road most of the way, and it's pretty narrow, and it may have some stoplights and some hills and some curves, and it isn't fast. And not many people choose it, but it's worth taking. You can see it's really pretty, and it goes along the Pacific coastline, and it's so pretty that you will feel compelled to stop at some of the uh, spaces that they have designed for people to pull off and take some photos. The one is long and it takes time and it's a narrow road and few people choose to drive it, but the views are well worth it. So when traveling in California, the normal route is fast and it's efficient and you have plenty of other people to share the road with. But the less traveled road... The one will give you breathtaking views that you will never forget and you will enjoy the trip far more. In our area, it may be the difference between taking the turnpike or uh, the Lincoln Highway across the this day. Sometimes the normal road makes you miss beautiful scenery and that's sad. But Jesus said, sometimes taking the normal road is not only sad, it's dangerous. It's not just sad, it's dangerous, and it leads you somewhere you really don't want to end up. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter 7. 
Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And many people enter through that gate. But the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. Only a few people find that road. Most of us are on the normal road. We're on the wide road that Jesus talks about. Have you realized what has become normal lately? Have you realized what has become normal? Busy and stressed uh, is a normal way of life for most of us. Each family member has their work or their school and we make sure that we have our hobbies and that our kids have their teams and their clubs and their lessons and there aren't enough hours in the day to cook and to clean and to drive and to shop and to eat and to plan and to study and to socialize and to work out and to rest. And so normal is busy and getting busier. And worry is now normal. There are so many threats around us, terrorism and disease and kidnapping and climate change and financial collapse and international conflicts and the germs on the handles of public restrooms. So many threats around us. It seems that there are threats and risks and things to worry about everywhere. Worry has become normal. And being suspicious is now normal. It used to be people trusted each other. Today we're always assuming that there's some angle or scam going on. We think a doctor is suggesting procedures we don't need so that he can make payments on his late house and that the preacher is only interested in money to pad his pockets and that our Facebook friends are really just trying to connect with us to sell us whatever product they're selling in their home-based business. And we're even suspicious of people who are kind to us. We're suspicious of people who are kind to us because we think that they're really probably trying to get something from us. Being suspicious has become normal. And financial struggles are also a part of being normal today. Craig Rochelle says it this way in the book Weird. Most people I know are living paycheck to paycheck. Most make more money today than they ever have, but it's never enough. Now more than ever, it's expensive to be normal. So much cool stuff to buy and take care of and many normal experiences you want your family to have. Only it's hard to enjoy any of it when the financial noose tightens with each monthly payment. What's normal in relationships? Well, it's normal for married couples to be so busy and stressed that they don't have much time for each other and Marriage becomes a series of business meetings and parents would love to spend more time with their kids, but there's just not enough time. The kids are almost as busy and stressed as we are and it would be great to have unhurried meals with significant conversation going on and it would be great to uh, have game nights or unhurried days, but most families don't work that way because it's just well, it's just not normal. What's normal for our spiritual lives? Well, recent statistics 
say that even those who consider themselves active, committed followers to Jesus attend church an average of 1.4 times a month. And it's normal for Christ followers to give less than 2% of their income to their church while considering it unthinkable to give a waitress less than 20% tip. And members attending church without serving Jesus is also the norm. Craig Groeschel says, when it comes to God, it's normal to either reject God altogether or to believe in him while we're living as if he doesn't exist. In churches, normal is lukewarm Christianity, self-centered spiritual consumerism, and shallow me-driven faith. God has become a means to an end, a tool in our toolbox to accomplish what we want. The majority of people claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. Hmm. And all of this is normal. It's all normal. And some are settling for normal, and normal isn't working. Normal isn't working because normal is broken. And when we chase after normal, when we try to live normal lives, we end up broken too. Broken spiritually and morally and financially and emotionally and relationally. And I just want to say to you that all of that might be normal, but it's not okay. It might be normal, but it's not okay. You don't have to settle for normal. You don't have to settle for normal. You can be different. You can travel that narrow road that Jesus talked about, that few people travel, and you can escape normal. You can be weird some of you are doing a good job of that. You can decide to be weird. In fact, if you're really going to follow Jesus, you'll be anything but normal. To really follow Jesus, you're going to have to be weird. You can't follow Jesus and not be weird. Have you considered how weird his teachings really are? Listen to Craig Rochelle again. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Normal says to hate your enemies. Jesus says love them. Normal seeks revenge on those who hurt you. Jesus shows you how to be kind to those who harm you. If someone hits you, then normal swings back. Jesus teaches you to turn the other cheek. Let's be honest, this not only... Um, this is not only counterintuitive to everything we learned on the playground in elementary school, it's just downright weird. And these are not the most challenging of his unusual teachings, Rochelle says. Jesus also told us to pray for those who persecute us, weird. And if you want to find your life, you have to lose it, weirder. And if we don't hate our parents, we really aren't committed to him, weirdest. Now, you don't have to understand all of the teachings of Jesus today. And I know it isn't easy, but I do want to challenge you in this series to move beyond the normal path. To move beyond the normal path. To move from the wide path that everyone is walking. The normal path that is diverting us from the narrow path that God intends for us to travel. 
Let's begin this series by, uh, with the rest of the time we have by looking at three actions that you can take this year to move beyond normal to your best life. The life that Jesus designed you for and desires for you. A weird life that leads to true life and takes you off the road that leads to destruction. The first action that you can take is to examine your heart. Examine your heart. The starting place to really get your heart is to really get your heart right. How many times have you heard someone say, well, their heart just wasn't in it? Their heart just wasn't in it. They might be talking about why they failed at work or why they quit serving Jesus or why they gave up a hobby. But we seem to know that our heart represents a huge part of who we are and what we value. And When we talk about this, normal says, follow your heart. Normal says, follow your heart. Following your heart almost always feels good. Following your heart almost always feels right. It might be riskier. It might be less logical, but it seems right. Whether we're talking about our love life or purchasing something that's just outside of our budget, following our heart seems like the right path, the the normal path. There's just one problem with that. Look at what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. We can't follow our heart because our heart can't be trusted. Our heart can't be trusted. It's deceitful. It will lie to us. And it's wicked and we don't even understand just how bad it is. That's what that passage said. Many have followed their heart into addictions or into unhealthy relationships. Some who were really strong in their relationship with Jesus followed their heart and now they find themselves far from God, very far from him. Now, the last part of that verse is both frightening and comforting to me. It's both frightening and comforting. God says he searches all hearts And he examines secret motives. He examines secret motives. That's frightening because sometimes we have bad motives. Sometimes our secret motives are bad motives. They're selfish or they're sinful. And we just pretend on the outside that we're good and that we're godly and that we're unselfish. And God searches our hearts and He sees our motives. He sees our secret motives. Hmm. It's a little frightening to think about. But it's also comforting to me that God searches my heart and sees my secret motives. Because sometimes I end up doing something that turns out just wrong. It just turns out wrong. And I make a decision thinking it will work out and that it will be good and, and it doesn't. Or I try to spare someone's feelings by uh, saying something nice and it ends up seeming like, well, like dishonesty. 
And when I think about those times, this verse is comforting because God searches my heart and he sees my motives. He sees my real motives and sometimes when I mess things up, God can see that my motives were pure and that my intentions were right. Even if my motive, even if the end result wasn't great. So normal says, follow your heart. But normal isn't working. So instead, why not be weird? Weird says, God has my heart. God has my heart. One day, they were trying to trick Jesus, and they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he said this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Loving God with all our heart means that he has my heart. He owns my heart. Now, let that concept float around in your brain for a while. Have you ever given your heart to someone? Have you ever given your heart to someone? I mean, what has that looked like? I mean, get sappy for a minute. Okay? Go back to those first days when you were in love. That first kiss. That first boyfriend or girlfriend. Your husband or your wife. Your babies. Your puppy. Your sports car. Those first days when you gave your heart away. Now, you think I'm kidding on some of those things, but but I'm not. I'm really not, because in every case, when I give my heart, I get kind of weird. I get kind of weird. I mean, whether we're talking about the woman I love or my kids or my 66 Triumph Spitfire that I owned for a while (laughs) and loved, giving my heart meant and means giving them significant influence in my life. We change our schedules. We want to please them. We want to protect them. We want to protect their place in our life. And so examining our heart today means that you might want to evaluate if God is getting your heart the same way other people and things that you love have gotten your heart. I mean, is he influencing your life? And your schedule and your attitude and your actions in such a way that it's clear that God has your heart, that God has your heart. Let's move on to the next action so that uh, we can take that will help us to not just settle for the normal path. Secondly, shift your faith. Shift your faith. Faith is this weird concept and... um, All all by itself, it's kind of a weird concept. It seems kind of unclear sometimes. Faith is trusting things that we can't see. Faith, it seems like it is believing things that we just can't know for sure, that we can't prove. Yet the Bible is clear. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11. Without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real 
and that he rewards those who truly want to find him. Hmm. This fuzzy concept called faith is necessary. It's required if we're going to please God. It's required if we're going to please God. Yet, the normal view of this won't work for us either. Normal says, believe in yourself. Normal says, believe in yourself. And this is one of the most commonly repeated phrases in many circles. Motivational speech, speakers and health coaches and personal trainers and your mom and your grandma all seem to encourage you to believe in yourself. And of course we need some self-confidence and uh, we need to develop wisdom so that we can trust our ability to make choices that are wise. But the truth is, faith in myself is not the kind of faith that's going to please God. Believing in ourselves tends to cause us to be arrogant and self-centered. We have this incredible ability to talk ourselves into decisions and actions that suit our selfish desires and our sinful desires and move against God's best for us. And when we trust ourselves, we tend to disappoint ourselves. We disappoint ourselves and we fail ourselves. And when we fail, it shakes our faith in ourselves, and we learn that we really can't trust ourselves. We really can't believe in ourselves. And normal says, believe in yourself. But we are called to be different. For Jesus, we are called to be weird. And weird says, trust in God. Trust in God. And this one's hard. Because it means shifting our faith to not just mouth words. But to really make some changes in our life. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. With all your heart, you must trust the Lord and not your own judgment. Always let him lead you and he will clear the road for you to follow. The first sentence says it all and it kind of sets up the question, will I trust God instead of trusting my own judgment? That's a question you could ponder on probably the rest of the day. Am I going to trust God or am I going to trust my own judgment? Can we just admit that way too many times we think that we know better than God what we should do? That we think we know better than God what will work in our life? You might trust your own judgment more, uh, more in many areas. Jesus says to forgive others and you think that you know better. Or... God asks us to obey the laws of our land. And you say, yeah, but some of those laws are really stupid. And they are. Or God asks us to honor and respect our political leaders and our church leaders. But, you know, they just don't seem that respectable to us. So we think that we can ignore that. Or Jesus wants us to be honest. But lying in this situation just seems to be so much easier and shifting my faith would simply be me saying, I'm going to move past the norm and I am going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to do what Jesus says. I'm going to hold to his truth because I believe God. 
And when something else seems right to me, when something else seems smarter to me, I'm going to believe God and trust him. Hmm. And let's just be clear. Anytime I go with my judgment instead of obeying God, I'm doing one of two things. If I go with my judgment instead of obeying God, I'm either rebelling against God by indulging in sin, or I am saying that God can't be trusted in that area, and I know better than God. I'm either rebelling against him and walking into sin, or I'm declaring that he can't be trusted, that I know better. So getting off the normal path would be me deciding to shift my faith, to trust God, to let him lead me and clear the road for me to follow. And that will seem weird and it will feel weird and it will require faith from you. But it will lead to true life. It will lead to true peace. Let's look at one more action that we can take to get off the normal path and follow God more fully. You examine your heart and you shift your faith and then you reset your priorities. You reset your priorities. We have entered into not only a new year, but a new decade. And many of you have already chosen a word to live by during the coming year. Or you've made some New Year's resolutions. Some of you have already broken your New Year's resolutions. Congratulations. You might have decided to lose some weight or to get more exercise or to overcome a bad habit or to start a good habit. And you may have decided to focus on your spiritual growth as Pastor Seth talked about last week. And whatever uh, your resolution or your word, New Year seems to be a time when we look at our lives and we try to make it better and we try to look at our priorities and reset them. And again, uh, we often walk the normal road here because normal says look out for number one and when we talk about looking out for number one we are always declaring ourselves to be number one we always declare ourselves to be number one and if you think through your new year's resolutions or your word for the year often you will see that you are resetting your priorities with you in mind What's best for me? What will help me? How uh, can I improve myself or slow myself down or be better or thinner or healthier or calmer in the coming year? Now, I want to be careful here because it's not bad for you to improve yourself. That's not a bad thing. And it's not bad to set goals for your life that will help you overcome some of your harmful habits and to form good habits. That's admirable. That can lead to positive change. It's not bad at all. It's just normal. It's just normal. It's normal because it puts yourself first. It focuses on what you need and what you feel and what you want. And that's very normal. But we're trying to get past normal. We're trying to move past normal. So what does weird look like when it comes to your priorities? Weird says, put God first. Put God first first and some of you are saying oh good 
that's really great after Pastor Seth's message. One of my priorities, one of my resolutions is to make God a higher priority in my life, to work hard, to get to church more often, and to pray more often, and to grow more spiritually. And if you're one of those people, I applaud you. That is great. It's really good. But you might also not have decided to be weird enough. You can make that great choice and still not quite be weird enough because what this is saying here in this passage in this section is pretty weird. It's pretty radical. It isn't saying to make God a higher priority. It's saying to make God the first priority in your life. The first priority, to make him a higher priority than literally anything or anyone in your life. Higher than your spouse, higher than your kids, higher than your job, and definitely higher than yourself. God isn't seeking to be in your top five priorities. That's not his goal. In fact, he wants and will only accept one position in your life, first place. He will accept only one place in your life, first place. And this isn't something new. It's what God has wanted all along. The first of the Ten Commandments declares this. God said this as our commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me or in front of me. God says, I don't want you to put any other gods in front of me. I want to be your one and only God. And of course he was talking at that time about the false gods and the pagan gods of their culture that people worshipped. But he's still concerned today about the false gods that we put in front of him. And you don't think you struggle with false gods, but we do. Because a false God is anything that distracts us from putting God first in our life. It's anything or anyone that distracts us from putting God first in our life. Our gods today may be things like screen time. Or a relationship that pulls us away from God. It could be whatever it is that causes you to miss church on a consistent basis. I mean, children's sports or family events or home projects can actually crawl into the place of a God in your life. And Jesus said that the thing that was most likely to become a God for us would be money. You remember, he said, you cannot serve two masters. And then he got specific and said, you cannot serve both God and money. And as I have watched over the years of my ministry, people struggle in their faith and struggle in their spiritual commitment, especially regarding what they give to God, I have become more and more convinced that Jesus is right. The God that is taking us away from the true God is money. But Jesus had something to say about this putting God first thing. He said, if we get this right, if we get this one right, all of our other priorities will fall into place. Look at what he promised in Matthew chapter 6. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Seek first God's kingdom 
and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. Did you catch what he's saying? It's actually a cool pro, pro, uh, promise. He says that I will never lose out by putting God first in my life. I am never going to lose when I put God first in my life. He says if we will get weird about putting God first and we will work to do what God wants, all our other needs will be met in our life. All our other needs will be met as well. So what would happen? What would happen? How would your life be different if you reset your priorities and you got really weird about putting God first in everything? I mean, what if you scheduled time with him every day? What if you scheduled time with him first every day? I mean, either literally first by putting him first on your schedule for the day, or you made sure that you had time to read your Bible and to pray and to spend time with God every day, and you made that the higher, a higher priority than anything else on your schedule. How would that change your life? What if you gave God the first word in every decision that you ever made? I mean... You just said, before I get advice from my best friend or from Siri or from Google, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help me with this decision, to help me make a wise choice here. What if he got the first word in every decision you made? What if you gave him priority in your schedule and made sure that you and your family were in services at impact and in your growth group not just when it was convenient not just when it kind of fit your schedule but every week unless you were ill or out of town what would happen if you gave him the first choice on scheduling what you do during service time what if you literally put God first in your finances and you said God this is the year I'm going to give 10 percent or tithe uh, just like you've asked me to, and I'm going to make that gift first. I'm going to give that money before I pay any other bill, and I'm going to trust you to do what you say. I'm going to believe you and trust you to provide all my other needs as well. How would your life be different if you got weird about putting God first in your life? How much would your life change for the better if you did get weird and made sure God had the top slot in your life. How much more peace would you have if you finally said, God, you're first. I'm going to trust you to reset all my other priorities based on what's best for me and what's best for my life. One of the ways that your life would change is you would just stop being normal. You would stop being normal. And here's the secret you will find some peace when you decide to be weird. You're going to find peace and joy in your life when you decide to be weird. We put a lot of energy, a lot of stress into trying to be normal, you know, trying to fit in, to say the right things and to wear the right things and to believe the right things, to act the right ways. And getting on that narrow path that leads to true life is hard in many ways but it's also freeing. It's also freeing. And I think seeking God's approval is so much easier than seeking the approval of people. 
Seeking God's approval is so much easier than seeking the approval of people because as the verse that we read earlier promises, he rewards all of those people who truly want to find him. He rewards those who honestly seek him. So I'm hoping you'll make a personal commitment today as we start this series to let God use this series to help you escape normal, to help you experience him. And I hope that you will be here every week for the messages in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about how to be the good weird because none of us want to be the bad weird. We've all met some of those really weird Christians in a bad way, you know, those people that are really odd for God. We don't want to be them. So we're going to talk about being the good weird, and then we'll spend some weeks talking about how to move past normal when we're, uh, when being stressed and financially broke and being worried and selfish, and all of those are normal parts of our world. So here's my invitation. Come be weird with us. Come be weird with us because normal really is broken. Normal is broken. It just isn't working anymore. And Jesus' weird way is the best way. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that in the midst of our normal world that was heading towards destruction and hell, that you loved us enough to intersect uh, our world, our time and our space, to show us that there's a different way, a better way. And Father, forgive us for the times when we have chased after normal instead of chasing after you. And Father, we pray that you will help us to just give you the opportunity to speak into our lives, to help us to be the different that you want us to be, to be weird in the ways you want us to be weird. Father, I pray that today, right now, will be a defining moment for some people sitting in this service. That today will be the time when they say, I got to do it. I got to put God first. I've got to let him have my heart. I've got to believe him and trust him in my life. And Father, we're just so thankful that you're patient with us, that you reward us when we sincerely seek after you. And so, Father, right now we are chasing after you. We're seeking you. We want to find you and find a real strong relationship with you. So, Father, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.